Good morning, UBC Edgewater. <laughs> My name is Zoe, and I use she, they pronouns, and I'm so grateful to be with y'all today. I am a medium-height white person with light brown hair that goes a few inches past my shoulders. I'm wearing jeans, a mauve cardigan, and a white blouse this morning. And what I just did, the way I described myself, that's called an audio description. And it's one way we can create um, more accessible and inclusive spaces for those of us with disabilities. It allows someone who is blind or low vision to better understand who's speaking to them. And it's one of the things I include when I write access audits. A few months ago, I was invited to visit the newest um, site of Urban Village Church, the partnership with River Forest United Methodist Church, UBC West, and conduct a formal accessibility audit. It's an analysis of the way that a particular space is or is not accessible for people with disabilities. And while the audit was aimed specifically at that new site, um, the recommendations can be applied more broadly. And so today I'd like to share a little bit of the audit with you all, just a little bit of it, um, as well as a bit of my personal story and my reflections on being disabled in Christian spaces. And so when I was growing up, uh, my family's house burned down. And every living thing, my parents, myself, all of our animals, everyone was fine, everyone survived. And the aftermath was still really challenging. Not long after this trauma, I began to have symptoms of chronic pain and chronic fatigue, and my body just wasn't cooperating. I was, and still am, experiencing chronic illness that my medical providers attribute to the, the trauma my body had physically and emotionally experienced. In high school, I started to feel the social experience of these, exper of these symptoms much more. I often felt frustrated and left out that I couldn't do certain things in gym class or with my friends. I didn't really identify as disabled, but I was often focused on the challenges that were coming with my condition. And then I began college, and it is fast-paced, and it is stressful, and it takes a lot of time and energy to get from my dorm all the way over to my classrooms, and I was noticing that I was becoming more disabled. My symptoms were escalating, and my mobility was declining. And so on the recommendation of one of my teaching assistants, I reached out to the Disability Resource Center, all the while asking myself, is this okay, can I do this? If I'm not disabled, can I actually reach out to this resource? But being connected to the DRC was life-changing for me. It was the launch pad for a journey that I'd never imagined, but I'm so deeply grateful for. Not only did I realize that disability actually is a label that fits me really well, it's also a label that I'm really proud of. I was seeing the creativity and the resilience in this community the history of fighting for access, of enduring when the world makes assumptions about what you can and can't do. And I saw these qualities in all of these people and thanks to fantastic friends and mentors, I began to see those qualities reflected in myself as well. I was unlearning the idea that disability is about struggle and exclusion and being left out and relearning the truth that disability is about community and interdependence. Disability wasn't the root of why I was struggling. Ableism was. Exclusion was. And so I do experience pain every day. The physical aching in my muscles and the sharp pain that comes with stairs or standing for too long. The pain of feeling excluded or being doubted just for the way my body works. I sometimes feel frustrated with my body, weighed down by it and its limits. I also often feel grateful for my body and the way it consistently reminds me of what it needs. It doesn't allow it to be optional to take time to pause and to take care of it. 
But beyond this physical experience of being disabled, the social experience is also filled with pain and frustration. As I gathered my own stories of ableism and harm and heard those of my disabled friends and colleagues, I started reading more and researching more and learning in any way that I possibly could. And finally, I decided to launch my own consulting business. I wanted to share this knowledge with others and also create way more opportunities for myself to continue learning with various spaces and communities with other disabled and non-disabled leaders. And y'all, if I'm being honest, churches in particular <laughs> have a lot of this learning and unlearning to do. And that's why I chose to particularly focus in that space and healthcare because that's where so much of my time is spent. So when I came to Chicago, I was really, really grateful to have a church that centered my queerness. I felt totally accepted as a queer person. But time and time again, I found that I was not able to fully participate in my church, either in the church service or the community, because disability was once again on the back burner. Some aspects of the service itself weren't accessible. This was before we said, um, rise if you're able in body, mind, or spirit. Um, that was launched out of a conversation that I had with Pastor Hannah. Um, I often found that um, there were harmful references to disability, messages such as fixing someone's disability as if we're broken and need to be patched up by someone else. I often found that the announcements about things that we're doing in the community weren't including um, access notes. I didn't know if they were accessible or not. I would have to find someone and ask for that information. And unfortunately, often when I would get the information, the answer was, no, it's not accessible. Someone's hosting it. They're on a third floor walk up or whatever it may be. Um, maybe next time, right? Eventually, I chose to step away from church. Um, I found that these forms of exclusion and the messages they sent me and my disabled friends were actually driving a wedge between me and God. I found that a lot of the energy I had, been in, I had been hoping to reinvest in a relationship with God, a healthy one in a space that allowed me to be queer and to flourish while being queer. So much of that energy was being spent on self-advocacy rather than simply getting to re-know myself and my God. And that's what I wanna share with you all today. There are really real consequences to not examining ableism in a church. It's not uncommon for disabled people to experience this type of thing and wind up leaving, stepping back, taking a break. In one article, an anonymous author describes this by saying, in a place that promises solace to the rejected and weary, I found only more rejection. Tina Heron, another author of an article that I really value, describes the way she tried and tried to find a church that approached disability well and was accessible. When this proved too challenging, she left. And she states, so I have left the church and given up my faith. It's too difficult to start again somewhere else with the same access issues. This experience has destroyed my faith and I will never enter a church again, nor will my husband and son. How does God feel about that? Ask him yourself. We don't talk anymore. I share my story and the stories of these authors, um, even though they can feel negative and challenging and painful, I think they're important because they're a call to action. They tell us we've got to do something next. We've got to do something more. I share them because disability is so often placed in the background of diversity, equity, and inclusion work. As Lydia X. Brown, an autistic activist states, few outside the disability community ever consider the consequences of a limited under understanding of disability. 
and many whose views are shaped by unsound and dangerous ideas continue to perpetuate ableism without ever having their privilege challenged and examined. And that's what we're doing today. We're challenging it, we're examining it, and we're deciding what do we do next. Churches have the power to create really deep, beautiful community. UVC is working towards that creating spaces for connection and reflection and love. And we can truly do this for all people. I believe that. If we ask ourselves, what needs to happen to create a space where folks never have everything I just described? They never have to step away because their energy is being spent like that. And so we're, when we're considering how to transform our spaces to intentionally welcome disabled people, we can't just think about physical space. We have to think about our atmosphere, our social experiences, and our theology. After all, disability is not just a physical experience, it's social, emotional, and political as well. Now, understanding how to transform a whole theology into one through a dis disabled lens can feel really challenging. There's a lot to learn and to unlearn, and I know that, and I understand that, and that's why I'm glad this is a whole four-week series, because we have lots of time to delve into that. Um, but I can say this, the starting point to transforming our theology is first transforming our baseline understanding of disability one from a model of deficit and lacking to a more holistic view. We have to be willing to question the common narratives of disability as something sad or to be pitied, as something to be fixed or hidden. We must be willing to confront harmful beliefs the church specifically, the capital C church, has perpetuated, such as disability being punishment for sin or disabled people having an undoubted desire to be non-disabled. We must want a cure. Transforming our physical space and our programming must go beyond ramps. Ramps are important. As a part-time wheelchair user, I love a good, easy to find, not too steep ramp. But disability is really broad and diverse, and there are so many ways we have to create accessibility that goes beyond ramps. And so to bring us back to this specific church, specifically UVC West, but thinking how we can apply it here as well, um, I wanna share a few recommendations from the access audit. If you wanna read the whole thing, you are welcome to. Church leadership has it, can email it to you, so can I. Um, and I also wanna note that some of these things might already be happening here. I'm still gonna share them because then you know there's something to continue, something to recommend in other spaces. But before all that, it might be helpful to think through actually what is the intention of this audit? What actually is accessibility? To me, accessibility is a really, really complex, multifaceted thing that we're aiming for and it's vital to the true inclusion of all people. It involves creating a space where all people, any body or mind, can lead, can participate, can be led, um, can fully be in community, not in a separate church for the disabled group, but fully in this community, not just participating, but leading and having input as well. To create genuine accessibility, we have to be creative, committed, and willing to mess up willing to get feedback and to try again. Given the many access needs that exist, we also have to be willing to compromise, but never in a way that prioritizes someone over someone else. Some access needs are a little bit easier, like making the words on the PowerPoint bigger. Others are more complex, like creating a sensory-friendly space. But I think we can do both, um, and we can find a way to meet in the middle when they contradict. Our shared goal should be to create a space where one day none of this has to be hard work. It's just the norm. To reach this, though, we have to start with our individual spaces, creating a baseline of accessibility. 
We have to commit to tearing down and rebuilding, to adapting and changing. That's what accessibility audits do. They take this kind of looming, complex concept and they say, here's where we start. Not necessarily where we end, but here's where we start. And so the first recommendation I'll share is that whoever starts worship, it may be different each week, it may be different in different spaces, but whoever starts the service should start with an explicit statement of welcome centered on accessibility and occupying the space as your body and mind needs. I recommend something like, during worship, we invite everyone to move and engage as you need. If you need to sit, stand, lay, or move, we celebrate you doing what your body needs. This allows disabled people to lessen our pain, to lean into our sensory needs, to do whatever we need without fear of judgment or repercussion. Another one would be that announcements should be included in the PowerPoint. They are here, but they're not at every site. Um, if someone is deaf or hard of hearing, speaks English as a second language, or is simply new to the church, the announcements can be hard to follow. When I visited previously, there were a lot of announcements, um, which is great, there's a lot of cool things happening, but there were a lot of them to remember, and they were explained in a way that assumed that everyone was familiar with the church, saying, reach out to so-and-so for more information, but I didn't really know who so-and-so was. And so having the information in the PowerPoint would be really helpful for, for following along. Communion time revealed a few other opportunities for access. For example, the person who's leading community has to state what to do if you have limited mobility, if you're not comfortable getting up and coming forward for communion. In my time at UVC, this has happened sometimes, but it's often been dependent on who specifically is leading communion. And so it has to happen all the time. Otherwise, disabled people, as my friend once said, will be left realizing the table's not actually set for us. Another thing I'll note is, not necessarily anymore, but in COVID times, when we have those little bitty cups, those are really hard to open for a lot of people. And so having someone that can help sanitize and open the cups can be really powerful. And then a final example I'll share um, that is a bit different at this site, but was really important to me at UBC West, is if the accessible door is different than the main door, think about what happens when someone comes through it. When I attended the partner site, I was actually unable to find the accessible door the first time, but when I came the second time, I entered and my experience was so different. There was no one there to say hello. I didn't get a name tag. I didn't get a handout. Instead, I got greeted with stacks of chairs and I didn't know where to go. And so asking ourselves if we're creating accessibility, what will actually the experience of the person needing the accessibility be when they use it? And so adapting all of these physical changes, as well as shifting our culture, our theology, our way of thinking about disability towards one that explicitly prioritizes anti-ableism can expand our churches to better represent, resemble the kingdom of God that is intended for us, one of full inclusion, one that actually values all bodies and all minds.